The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Cabo meal valid when product served. Tonight, it's the biggest night of the year for podcast fans. Our 2021 iHeartRadio Podcast Awards. These are really some of the best and brightest and smartest and most compelling minds in the country. Celebrate the podcasts we've leaned on for laughs, headlines, stories to get our adrenaline pumping, and voices to comfort us. This is a huge honor. We did it! Thank you to my listeners, because without them, this wouldn't happen. Don't miss our 2021 iHeartRadio Podcast Awards. Watch on iHeartRadio's YouTube and Facebook, and listen on our iHeartRadio app. Tonight at 9 p.m. Hello and welcome to episode number 30 of the Legal Sports Report podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by the brightest minds in all of the gaming industry. This week, the gang is all here. We are back from Turkey Day. We have Adam Candy, we have Dustin Galker, we have Eric Ramsey. I've talked to Adam at length about my disdain for uh, Turkey Day and for the food itself. I think it is highly overrated. I will take 30 seconds of Dustin's time for him to agree with me, and I will give 15 seconds to Eric for him to also agree with me that turkey and cranberry sauce and all this nonsense is overrated. Wait, you like bland food, though, don't you? So that should be like right up your alley, right? I mean, it's it's plain ish. But I mean, listen, here, my my the, the long and short of it here is, yeah, turkey's fine if it's done well, but like 80 percent of the time it's not. It's like dry and it's where. So I'm just kind of going with the overall deal here. And cranberry sauce is just is horrible. If it was actually good, you'd eat it more than one time a year. I think there's a lot of reasons that, you know, I think the Thanksgiving food itself is a little bit overrated. Yeah, you I'm, I'm not. I, I think I don't think you're wrong there. Uh, yeah, we eat turkey all the time, right? If it was if it was that great, right? But no, you guys are both. You we guys do eat turkey all can the time. I, can I rebut? Do I get my 15 seconds yes, of game yes, here, please? Yes, rebuttal. Yes, you guys are all. You're 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 rebutting yourselves in your own points here. The reason that Thanksgiving food is acceptable, dare I say, even good, is because you only have it once or twice a year. It is it is the occasion. Yeah, cranberry sauce not that great. Pumpkin pie one of the worst pies. But on Thanksgiving, it's only appropriate. Thanksgiving food on Thanksgiving, some of the best food you'll have all year. And, and that's but see that you kind of drove home my point. I think it's the idea of the of the Thanksgiving, you know, getting together and having this feast or whatever. It's the idea of it all as opposed to the actual food itself where everyone's like, oh, I'm getting so ready and excited for, you know, green bean casserole where you take green beans and you pour mushroom goo on the top of it and and, and, and like stick oh, it. God. In the oven. Here we go with the freaking mushroom goo again. I'm just saying like, I mean, this is, you know, and like pre fried onion string things and whatever. I mean, it's like, come on, that's no one. No one likes that. You, you you eat that one time a year and you do it with like disgruntled whenever you're doing it, you know? 
this is by far the most millennial take you've ever had. Like, oh, it's I don't know. It's about the gathering, not about the food. And we just like the food because of the gathering. I don't even like the food. None of the food's done well. And now we're using mushroom goo. God, just <laughs> think just of appreciate the, the damn meal. And yes, we eat it year round. Go to any buffet in Vegas and you will see them carving turkey at every lunch and dinner. Every one of them. I, I cannot I can listen. I cannot dispute that fact. I will give you that one, Adam. They are at a lot of the buffets here in town. Uh, so I just but I'm going to go ahead and say that Dustin kind of agreed with me and Eric kind of agreed with me. So I'll just say that I, my point was 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 well wow, taken. fake news. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a good show for you guys. We're going to talk about, of course, the state updates. We have some Nevada numbers to talk about. There was a big acquisition while we were gone as well. Some interesting news coming out of the NFL on the betting front and the NBA dealing with some interesting stuff as well with a basket non-basket how do you handle the situation some of the sports books have already reacted as well so we will go through all of that but let's kick things off here dustin with california one of the very very big fish out there one of the states that you famously said san diego would fall off into the ocean before it ever had sports betting um let's uh let's hear about that take now Wait, I think that was in 2019, so I think we're okay. safe. Okay, all right, okay, all right. Safe. I still don't think it's going to happen in 2020, but California, there has been continues to be chatter behind the scenes. Uh, we have an interview up at uh, Legal Sports Report with our Matt Cradell, who, uh, talking to a, senator, a state senator there. Um, they're planning a, a hearing next month to talk about sports betting um, the, to be done uh, online as well as uh, retail locations around the state. This is different from the, the one we've talked about with the tribes, where it would just happen at car rooms and try uh, not a car room sorry at racing venues and tribal casinos around the state so there's there continues to be a lot moving a lot of people who want sports betting in california whether it actually gets done is continues to be the whatever billions and billions of dollar question because if, it would be a huge business if it happened but you know the, we, ha- we had reported earlier november was there's going to be a hearing in november that got pushed back apparently because of the wildfires in the state and now they're looking at a january hearing so there will be some movement in 2020 now does that mean, I, again, I don't think I'd, I'd be shocked if California got anything done next year, but it is at least possible. Eric, you read through a lot of these bills and you read through a lot of these meetings and you watch some of these things online and whatnot. Do any of these states start referencing other states, namely New Jersey, whenever they're kind of talking through deals and they're trying to convince their counterparts that this is a good idea? Have you heard numbers referenced? Have you heard different things come out where they're saying, like, why are these other states reaping the benefits and we're not? Yeah, it happens more, you know, California is a bit of a unicorn in that there there really is no precedent in the U.S. for what California sports betting could look like. So not sure they're too concerned about, you know, what what numbers Iowa is pulling in. You do hear a lot of references to to the New Jersey market, both in terms of how successful it's been in its infancy and just the general structure of the law. You see that reference both with direct provisions from the law and statute and just in in the conversation and testimony surrounding bills elsewhere, for sure. Adam, we are looking at we talked about D.C. here a ton of times on this podcast and whether whether you like what is going on over there with the sports betting or not, there's at least been a lot of news for us to talk about. And it seems as if there's even more interesting news to talk about over there in D.C. Well, to your point, if you like what's happening in D.C. sports betting then you have a Greek last name and someone in your family works for Intralot because (laughs) no one else likes what's going on with DC sports betting. And the architect of that contract, Jack Evans, the councilman in DC, uh, they just held a vote yesterday to expel 
Jack Evans from the council. It was a 12-0 vote. Uh, Evans was not at the meeting, surprisingly. Uh, he is basically on his way out. He'll have the opportunity to either resign or to be forced out in a second vote. Uh, Evans has been under investigation by the FBI for a number of ethical concerns, uh, not even including the ethical concerns we have about D.C. sports betting, which is that a consulting firm of which he has been tied to very closely has been receiving money from Intralot for a very long time. So my perspective, the legal sports report perspective, once this is all done, we need another look at this D.C. sports betting contract because the council is now saying we believe that the person who pushed this contract is unethical. We believe that he has serious concerns about being paid to uh, to push for certain companies. And that's a concern that was brought up in the more general sense during this whole D.C. sports betting conversation. So the applications for class B licenses are on the way here. We haven't launched anything that has to do with the uh, with the mobile product via Intralot yet. So once this is done with Jack Evans, it's time for the D.C. Council to reopen the discussion about this contract. And, and Adam, just so that people make sure that they don't hear what they just want to hear in this as opposed to what the actual story is. This does not actually have anything to do with the sports betting contract and how things went down with sports betting. Now, like you said, there are some ties here and and that might certainly come out down the line, but this all the genesis of all this was not actually the sports betting stuff. No, the FBI investigation that led to uh, the downhill slide here for Jack Evans had to do with other instances of basically selling influence. And so there's email trails and the Washington Post has done a fantastic job of covering the things related to Jack Evans that started all of this. It's just a circumstantial piece and a very interesting one for our purposes that the sports betting discussion happened around the same time. Dustin, you were very vocal about thinking that this whole D.C. sports betting stuff was incredibly shady from the get-go. You were very vocal in saying that you thought it was kind of a dumb decision on their part. So seeing how this comes down, I can only assume you echo what Adam said, that after this kind of after the dust settles here, probably smart for them to revisit all this and, and open things back up. Yeah, the problem is we've seen other other states go with monopoly models, right, for uh, for the lottery and how they're running it. Now, I think it's always going to be best served to to open it up to bidding. Uh, they said, oh, Intralot's already our provider for lottery. We'll just give them the sports betting. I, that certainly wasn't the best deal for D.C., nor was it nor would it be just to, to hand it to the existing lottery operator anywhere. We, you know, here in Oregon, we had there was a bidding process. And even though it was a monopoly, there is a bidding process to get the best deal for the state. Now, there's just no way that you just give Intralot, you know, this this company that does not have a ton of experience running sports betting anywhere, uh, the deal is that it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense that this is, we just rubber stamp this, say, hey, this is the best thing that DC can possibly get. Let's move on with our lives. So, yeah, you know, even even if you don't think that there's uh, some ethical concerns or any other weirdness, there's, there's just no way what DC did was in the best interest of DC. Eric, we are going to continue with our little state update here, and I don't use the word little trying to be funny here, but let's talk about New Hampshire. Oh, that was cute. Yeah, New Hampshire uh, probably will become the 14th state with sports betting and probably the first to launch next year. Uh, they are somewhere in between a competitive process and a monopoly. They they did open their their uh, application process for competitive bidding, but then awarded a, monop- a monopoly to DraftKings. Uh, DraftKings got the only contract to offer 
retail and mobile betting in the state. They're going to give about half of their revenue back to the state in exchange for that monopoly. They plan to open office in New Hampshire, um, looking like maybe a January launch. That's why I think they'll probably be first next year. Online likely to launch first, retail maybe sometimes in the spring. And speaking of Intralot again, they are going to run the the lotteries, uh, the lotteries product there in New Hampshire. So we are quickly approaching launch there in the tiny, tiny but great state of New Hampshire. Adam, people are going to hear that and they're going to say, wait, 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 hold up a minute. They're going to give half of their money back to the state with something like this. Why would they ever agree to do something like that? And I think you would uh, probably say that, listen, as 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 we are kind of in a race right now for getting eyeballs. I mean, it's almost like it's free marketing, right? As much footprint as DraftKings and FanDuel and all these other brands and businesses can, can soak up. It seems like they're going to just continue to try to soak it up. I think this can be summed up very easily in terms of the DraftKings play in New Hampshire. And that is pock the car at DraftKings yacht, because this is all about Boston in the end. Uh, We're talking about trying to get the Boston market as cornered as possible because Massachusetts is an absolute mess right now in terms of its attitude toward legal sports betting. Uh, I don't think they're a good bet to pass something in 2020. And so the more share you can get from Boston now in New Hampshire, the better and hope to be able to hold on to, uh, to some of those customers whenever it becomes legal in the headquarters of DraftKings in Boston. In terms of their proposal for the, for the roughly half of revenue that they'll give back, they had a very interesting proposal because New Hampshire basically made operators submit proposals and say, we're going to choose the one we like best. DraftKings said, if you choose us as the sole operator, it'll be half of the revenue. And then they gave a sliding scale on down that said, well, if you choose two, we'll give you this much less. If you choose three, we'll give you this much less times two. So it was an interesting proposal that ultimately won over New Hampshire and uh, was a pretty easy choice for them in the end. Boston Market being the actual city of Boston, not to be confused with the restaurant <laughs> chain that is out there um, right now. So just to make sure that everyone is is well aware of what you were saying there, Adam. Uh I generally do not equate roasted chicken and sports betting, so yes. <laughs> fun fun fact, Boston Market is actually headquartered in Golden, Colorado. You, who, who would have thought that? Not Matt, me? Matt, dropping so much knowledge on us. I, I, feel, I feel so much smarter. <laughs> I mean, a quick Google search as, uh, as soon as Adam said Boston Market. I'm like, all right, I gotta, I'm going to have to do something with this here. But yes, and notice they do roasted Uh, chicken, not roasted turkeys. Let's go to Dustin here for Illinois. We have a pretty interesting projection that is in our own on one of the articles over at LSR. Um, Yeah, actually. So we we saw somebody made a projection. We like to make projections all the time, too. But somebody said that put out a projection that Illinois would have five point two billion dollars in bets by 2023. Um, Some people are like, wow, that's almost as big as Nevada. And I'm like, If Illinois is only (laughs) taking five billion dollars in bets four years from now, what what kind of mess have they created? If that's if that's like a good projection, because Illinois, last I checked, has four times as many people as Nevada. New Jersey will not quite get to that number this year, but there's less people in New Jersey, fewer people in New Jersey. And there will be more than five billion dollars in bets just next year. So I I don't know whether this projection is just low, wrong. I'd say it's probably a little bit of that or if Illinois messed up its uh, its law so 
badly that this is like this is the top of the market because you know if we, we remember back to what Illinois passed, it's in-person registration uh, for for a period of 18 months after launch. There's a limited number of of online-only operators. Um, you know, it's it's ex- really expensive to get into the market. Not quite as bad as Pennsylvania, but pretty darn expensive. Um, so all of this leads me to believe that there's there's two sides two sides to this. Is it either Illinois messed it up and this projection is actually right, or is this just way low because Illinois should be doing you know you know it should be doing tens of billions, not five billion, uh, given a long enough horizon. And just to remind people, Dustin, while we're on the state of Illinois, there was a pretty big story a little while ago that you guys talked about over at LSR about just the whole casino debacle that was going on over there. Could you just refresh people's memories real quickly on that? Yeah, there. I mean, part of this big gambling expansion Illinois did was uh, trying to put a casino actually in Chicago, and that's been a mess as well. You know, they thought there were going to be a sports book there um, at a at a new casino. That's kind of been uh, called into question as they you know try to work out tax rates and whether it's even feasible to put a casino in Chicago now. Uh, they're still talking about putting sports books in actual uh, sporting venues, you know, Soldier Field, etc. There as well. So um, a lot going on in Illinois. So if, if again, I, the moral of the story is if. Five billion is actually a good projection of how many bets like uh, Illinois should be going back to the drawing board and starting over because that's an <laughs> extremely low number. Big state, lots of pro teams, lots of things going on there. I agree with you 100 uh, percent. Eric, we are we've talked about Kentucky a couple different times here. We talked about the prospects of there being sports betting in Kentucky. Of course, that did not come to fruition in 2019. But is there a chance the people of the Bluegrass State might be able to bet at some point next year? There is definitely a chance. The uh, the sponsor from last year, Representative Adam Koenig, it, Koenig is uh, going to try again in 2020. He's told local news that over the last few weeks. It looks like a lot of what he's proposing is going to be similar to last year. Uh, it will include mobile betting, a tax rate somewhere between 10 and 15 percent. It's probably going to have in-person registration. He's still hung up on that. Uh, one thing that has changed is the leadership in Kentucky. There is a new governor that was elected last month to uh, replace Matt Bevin. And Matt Bevin was one of the more vocal anti-gambling uh, gambling opponents in the country. He's very, very anti-gambling expansion. So the new governor has already been talking about things like sports betting and casino expansion seems to be favorable to the idea. A little bit of a different tone heading into to 2020 for the representative to work with. We have... One Jess Wellman that I'm sure will be following along very, uh, very well in this one with the Kentucky. Uh, her Quite being- wor- worth, a, worth a quick mention, too. This this one looks like it's going to have online poker. So also a, a bit of encouraging news for you online poker players out there in the great state. Great. Now we're going to have people like DM us for a- years <laughs> and years about yeah. when Kentucky online poker starts, Eric. Thanks. No problem. Right. Yeah, well, we could have left that nugget out there, Eric. Thanks. Yeah, you know, at least leave your DMs open so that people. Fortunately, there are only twelve people listening out there that are <laughs> online poker players in Kentucky. So, Adam, you and I were on air for doing another radio show that you and I do whenever some very big news broke, and this isn't—I mean, it's very big news for Nevada, but certainly, uh, you know, just big news for a company that is trying to gain a footprint and a foothold here in the United States, as Will Hill made a big acquisition. So William Hill purchased the assets of CG Technology in a deal that had been rumored for quite a long time, just not to involve William Hill. Uh, If you go back in the history of CG over the last decade here in Nevada, it's not particularly pretty. 
they've been fined multiple times by the Nevada Gaming Control Board for uh, for violations of rules, including this pastime, a $2 million fine for accepting bets from out of state, for accepting bets after games had started, uh, all sorts of things. And we don't mean like typical in-game betting. We mean lines that were up pregame that were left up. So CG at that point became a pretty popular discussion as an acquisition target. Many people, including us, speculated that it could be DraftKings going in and, and using that license as a way to get into Nevada. Now, that chatter calmed down a bit after the DraftKings Caesars deal. But, yes, yeah, so this gives William Hill uh, a more of a retail presence. Uh, they had not had a huge retail presence on the Strip, but uh, CG does have a number of properties along the Las Vegas Strip. And this will give William Hill more of uh, more of a visibility actually in its uh, in its retail Las Vegas locations. It was certainly a move where I, I, you know, I've talked to several different casino people over the years who told me CG has essentially been for sale for the longest, (laughs) the longest amount of time possible. It's just basically were they ever going to get the number that they were looking for as as far as getting the actual sale completed, but that they've been on the market for as long as they could possibly remember. Eric, you take a look at Will Hill here. Not a We don't talk a ton about Will Hill here on the pod just because, you know, you look at DraftKings and FanDuel and Foxbet and stuff. They've just been so incredibly active here lately. Will Hill did a lot of their stuff, you know, in the uh, uh, kind of in the early stages here when it came to their partnerships and whatnot. But here goes Will Hill scooping up CG and people might kind of scratch their head and say, Well, why, you know, because it doesn't really expand their brand across the states into any of these new kind of markets that are going on with CG not really having a big footprint here in the United States. But I guess one thing that it could do is just increase the visibility of the William Hill brand just in general. Of course, we know Nevada, a massive, massive tourist state here. People come to Las Vegas all the time and they stay in these big beautiful properties but one of the problems there is William Hill wasn't located in any of those big beautiful properties they were in downtown casinos they're available you know they're very convenient for Nevada locals because you can go to a 7-Eleven or a CVS or a PT's pub which is a you know a local pub that has one basically on every single corner here and you can make a deposit and stuff but as far as getting that you know in front of the tourist eyeballs and stuff it wasn't really there now you've got these CG books that are at the, you know, at some of the biggest properties here, namely, you know, Venetian Palazzo, the Cosmopolitan. So these big properties where you're now going to see the William Hill brand. Yeah, I hadn't actually really thought very well through this until this news broke that there William Hill really doesn't have a presence on the strip. There's I, a couple little I can remember some signs from walking down through the strip, some, you know, little advertisements for their betting shops and a sports book somewhere. But really not a huge presence that is that is definitely going to change over the next couple of years you, you mentioned the the properties they're getting through cg venetian palazzo cosmo they're also presuming to take over operations for the caesar's book so that would include caesar's palace uh, the link bally's here on the strip uh uh, yeah, it's quite a different tack than we're seeing most companies want to take in this online era of sports betting. William Hill, more so than most, does seem to value these retail locations we see, for example, in D.C. They were the high bidder for that deal at Capital One Arena. So maybe focusing more than their competition on on retail sports betting in this in this mad scramble for online real estate. 
Dustin, am I off base here thinking that maybe some of this is a little bit of a marketing play? Do you think that there is some sort of value to a brand like William Hill to be in these marquee casinos and in these marquee sports books and being in front of all of these tourists and now getting exposed to to that brand that maybe they weren't really aware of? I mean, obviously, the we knew the 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 campaign blitz that we got from DraftKings and FanDuel back in the day, and that that I think has certainly helped these companies with their expansion into sports betting as far as just name recognition as to where William Hill, unless you're kind of not necessarily in the bubble, but certainly have to be in the know to kind of recognize that brand. Yeah, I don't want to overstate it, but uh, there's there's incremental branding value there for sure, just being on, on the strip and in some of these bigger properties. Uh, like I said, William Hill faces a deficit in the United States. They're a big brand in the UK. Um, you know, uh, uh, over any of the other brands we've we've we we routinely talk about. Like you said DraftKings, Fanduel. These are you know not quite household names, but well known brands. Uh, Will Hill, you know, despite the how much it's expanded and how much I mean, in its footprint in the United States, not a well known brand uh, for much of anything in the United States. So if you can, yeah, you have, uh, you know, your name on the, on a sports book as you're walking through the strip. I think that that's, that's definitely interesting and, and worth something to them even outside of Nevada. I think, it, I think this is mostly a deal just about Nevada and, you know, they'll make money off of these deals for sure. Um, you know, one, one side note that I don't th- think we talked about is I'm, I'm a little surprised that who bought them, you know, DraftKings for, for forever has been you know, has designs on Las Vegas and Nevada and trying to get in there for sports betting. They, they have you know, constantly, uh, uh, advertising jobs in, in Las Vegas. And I, I don't know, I don't know if I had any Intel saying specifically that this is something that DraftKings was looking at, but, um, when I heard CG was being bought, I think my, my first reaction was why it wasn't this DraftKings because this is something that I think, you know, they want to be in that state and, you know, they have, they've had problems over the, over the years. They, you know, were serving, serving them for daily fantasy sports, had to pull out because the gaming board there said it was, it's gambling under state, under state laws. So there's, there's that. So I, it's DraftKings still appears to want to be in the state. So I guess I, part, for part of me is like this, this seemed like a, a logical entry point and it didn't happen. Adam, you and I have have I mean, I don't think this is this is certainly is not like saying any sort of secrets here. I mean, it was on it was on free to listen to national radio. I mean, you and I have talked to Johnny Avello and he has on multiple occasions given us the wink, wink, nod, nod that, you know, they are they want to be and or have some sort of plan to get into Nevada. They just never have really get he's never expanded on how exactly they plan to do that. I mean, of course, there was that announcement way back when of a deal with Caesars and then that basically they announced that and then we've heard nothing since. And so it's it's kind of interesting, the DraftKings position here in Nevada, where it seems like they do want to be here, but how they get here is still really up in the air. And I think it's vital to understand the difference between the market pushes the DraftKings is making elsewhere and what the market push might end up looking like here. Think of a New Jersey, think of a Pennsylvania, populous states, 9 million, 12 million people, right? Nevada is going to be a different story because while you cycle people through consistently, it's a state with a little less than 3 million people. And when the push is toward mobile sports betting and app technology that is best used from inside the borders of the state, it's not about so much bringing people to Vegas. Uh, and it's about who's there already. And so I think when you talk to Johnny Avello about it, look, there's no way that Johnny Avello left the setup that he had at Win to go and stare at a board full of Camby numbers and never do anything, right? Like right. he's there to, to run this product 
uh, and to run it on a much bigger scale than we see it right now. I think the only other question, and this is, again, something, Matt, that you and I have talked about, is right now, could DraftKings even bring its app into Nevada the, the way that it is? Like, we, it would be great if it could, but the app is so different than what's in this market right now that I don't know that they would get the same bang for the buck. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, it is. I think that there is such a massive and I may be speaking as a homer here, but I do think that there's just such a massive, massive hole in the market here in Nevada for someone. I believe if someone came in with one of these cutting edge apps, it doesn't matter. It, Dustin, you and I have kind of argued back and forth about about pricing and this, that and the other. And, you know, whenever you know Parks was listing games at 114 as opposed to 110 and all, I, I honestly believe there's a good chunk of the population that they are so frustrated with what is available in Nevada that they would use whatever app was available at whatever pricing. And when I say at whatever pricing, obviously, it couldn't be just completely egregious or something. But, um, you know, I, I think they would switch and they would switch immediately because there's been such incredible frustrations with what is available here and how it functions and how it works. And it is, uh, I think that someone would instantly become a market leader when it comes to, to that. Yeah. I think the, the big piece of that, right. Is in game. Like you got uh, the, the in game in, in Nevada is, is not great. Very limited, yes. uh, often get bets rejected, um, or just can't get them through. Like it's almost, sometimes it's just, it's a, an exercise of futility to even bet in game. Now DraftKings does very well in that as do pretty much any other app that's in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, et cetera right now. So yeah, I, I totally agree that people would probably, if you, if you gave them a, a much better app in Nevada that has, you know, in game that you could actually use price doesn't even matter and it's not, i don't think DraftKings would come in with dr- drastically different pricing either they'd just say here you go here's a better app the same prices and like why wouldn't you use that so again who knows where there's a lot of speculation but draft like you guys said DraftKings wants to be in wants to be in the state and as as has been angling for that for a while but just hasn't happened well let's go ahead and stay on nevada here we talked about the new jersey and pennsylvania numbers last show so let's go ahead and update people on how october looked in nevada yeah, big uh, big month in Nevada. No shock. Um, these football months are the big months. Uh, more than five hundred and forty million dollars wagered in October. About forty-eight million dollars in revenue, which is one of the biggest months in in state history in terms of revenue for sports betting. So, um, you know, pretty much uh, what we expect. Nevada is continuing, despite the the things that we always talk about here that are that are throttling Nevada. Uh, you know, it continues to grow, continues to be more than half a billion in handle uh, in these big months uh, around when football season is going. But again, you know, we 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 talk a little bit about this dynamic. It's not always going to be the king, and until until they clean up their mobile and make it a little easier for everybody to get get into it. It's 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 not always going to be this way. But again, we always talk about people are saying, oh, expansion of sports betting will be the death of Nevada sports betting. Not not so much the case continues to grow, continues to do well. Couple of big league stories here before we get out of here. We want to touch on for sure the. NFL has been a target for us. We have certainly been talking about the NFL several times on this podcast, taking shots at them for some of the stuff that they've come out and said regarding sports betting. And here we go in 20, you know, at the, here at the end of 2019. And Dustin, you commented on the timing of the announcement that it was convenient, that it was on a Friday afternoon after Thanksgiving, that they had suspended one of their players for the entirety, the rest of this season and the entirety of the 2020 season for gambling and betting on the NFL. Now, Adam, just to kind of brief people here, 
this is something that it doesn't matter. The bets were placed in Nevada, so it was placed legally. It was not one of the deals where the guy was, uh, you know, even going offshore with all the deal. But it doesn't really matter because there is a definitely has been out there for years and years and years and years. The NFL has been very deliberate in letting everybody know that their employees in any way, shape or form cannot bet on the league. So let's get the most updated version of the details out there for anyone who hasn't followed this story closely or who was actually enjoying time with their family when the NFL decided to dump it on a Friday. Josh Shaw, a player who's been on injured reserve all year for the Arizona Cardinals, apparently, according to reporting from the NFL Network and ESPN, came to Las Vegas with a group of friends and opened an account at Caesars. On that account, he listed his profession as professional football player which was part of how we ultimately found out and Caesars found out and reported to the gaming control board that Josh Shaw had placed bets on the NFL. Now, according to Josh Shaw, it was because of a misunderstanding of the Supreme court decision on PASPA in May, 2018. He says he thought that made it legal for everyone to place bets. Josh Shaw did bet on the Arizona Cardinals, but the league has no belief that he used any sort of insider information to do so. P.S. He lost that bet on the Cardinals as part of a parlay. Uh, it seems to everyone who's read this story that this is much more of a case of one guy making a dumb mistake than anything malicious. It's far from a Pete Rose or Tim Donahue situation. It's more about one guy who just didn't get it. And let's be clear, nothing changed in terms of the NFL or any other league and its players being able to bet on its own games with PASPA. Nothing changed in that regard. It was always a matter of, you just said, employees. That means players, coaches, key personnel, trainers, officials. Nobody in the league can bet on their own games, which is something that the NFL has educated its players about. But obviously the message didn't get through to at least one of them. Yeah. And I mean, look, this is, I saw a lot of people saying like, Oh, what are they doing? Telling people what they can and can't do when it's legal. And yada. no, I mean, it's the same difference as anything as anything else that your employer can tell you that you can and can't do. I mean, if you're a forklift operator and you live in a state that has legal marijuana, you can't go smoke a joint and then go drive around on the forklift. I mean, this is like it's it's just a rule that the employer sets in set in place with some pretty sound logic behind it. You don't want your employees going out and betting on their own sport. It just makes perfect since here, Eric, I think this is probably the perfect time to just to remind everyone that, again, this was flagged by a legal and regulated sports book here. And this is why we continue to beat this drum over and over and over and over again is when you take it out of the shadows, you are allowing these you're allowing these legal markets to get a hold and flag stuff like this and bring it to the attention of the people who it needs to be brought attention to. Yeah, from from what I can see, this is sort of the system sort of worked almost exactly as it should. I Caesars obviously should not have taken that bet, knowing what they knew. You know, with his with his occupation listed, they clearly should not have taken that bet. They they did not take reasonable steps to prevent him from taking that bet. However, it gets a little grayer if he doesn't list his occupation. You know, we I don't know how we expect sports books to vet every guy who comes and puts a hundred dollars down at the window. And from what we understand, the leagues aren't exactly forthcoming with supplying sports books lists of of their staff and things like that. So a lot of of burden on the league here. I think Caesars did almost everything it needed to do to, uh, you know, once they once they noticed this happened. Dustin, I know you were 
you were kind of going at the NFL for for this. And now that all the facts have come out, I mean, certainly there's no, you know, I, I, I think we can say with near certainty, there's no like kind of hanky panky going on here or whatever. But just the fact that it took some digging from in, uh, from reporters to get the full story here, as opposed to the NFL just coming out and saying, OK, here's the deal. We found out the dude went to Las Vegas with his friends, placed, yada, yada, yada. instead of them just running through the whole deal and basically ends at that point, the discussion is almost ended as to what's going on. They just put out some sort of vague little press release deal on, on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, I've had enough space from this. The, t- the two things I see here from the NFL that are that are pretty big failings is one is this this press effort after on the on the suspension. Like, I feel like if we're in this world of legal sports betting and we're, leagues are saying we need to be involved, we want to be transparent about all this, then we need far more than what 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 the league gave us here about him. All we knew is he bet on something. That's that's literally all the, the NFL said. It said it didn't even matter, which I get. It doesn't matter in terms of suspending him or how or it, or enforcing its rules, but I think there's a there's more of an onus uh, without the the great reporting by uh, ESPN's David Purdom here, we we would know very little about what this betting was and, and what it is. And I don't think that's in the best interest of the league or or really anyone. We you know, this this happened like you said, legal sports book, there there was nothing really untoward about it other than uh, he made a really bad decision and, and may have it just about ended his career in the NFL because of it. And the other part of that, that links to the other part that I think is a failing, you know, the NFL has said how much education they've done, you know, both before and after the fall of PASPA. And like, and I don't know, we don't know what, whether Shaw is telling the truth here. He said he thought things changed with the Supreme Court. Now, if that's the, if he really thinks something changed, then there's a big failing in the education effort that you're giving players because, you know, this guy is risk like he's risking. He he could have lost his career. He's probably suspended all of 2020. He's not going to have played basically for two years at that point, and his NFL career could be over. So I think there's a big failing on the education effort, and it leads to what what are other leagues doing? Are they actually doing enough? And you know, there's probably an onus on the players' association to make sure their players don't get themselves in this kind of mess because it's while it's obvious to the four of us sitting here talking on a podcast, it's apparently not obvious right. to you know some NFL players that this is a problem. And, and, and Adam, I think this is a pretty big lesson for not only the NFL, but just all leagues moving forward with all of this is if something happens, just tell people what the hell happened and get it out of the way, because there was a, you know, a before David came out with that article, you know, there's a solid several hour block where people are creating their own narratives as to how this went down. And, you know, off was it all sure? And was he betting against his own two? Was he whatever? And yada, yada, yada. And could it could it have been this, that and the other? And really, if they had just come out and said, like, oh, yeah, you know, he went to Vegas and he, he did over the counter and he was stupid enough to list that he was a professional football player. I don't even know if this thing blows up as I mean it certainly would have been a story because sports betting and the legalization of sports betting is a story now but I don't think it, it gets near the run that it would have gotten because it had so many hours of people just to be able to burn with their crazy conspiracy theories this seems to me and you know if you tuned into the LSR podcast for a dissertation on PR then I'm sorry uh, <laughs> you know I don't know why you're here but we're, you're gonna get what you came for um this seems to me like a PR strategy from maybe 20 or 25 years ago. Um, and not that the NFL has been known for its fantastic PR, uh, but this is a strategy that pre-internet era might have worked uh, to basically say the minimum possible, dump it on a Friday afternoon and hope that no one was really going to notice. Right. They basically said, hey, we suspended this guy. Uh, 
uh, it wasn't nefarious. Trust us on it. Talk to you later. And no one's going to buy that. And especially not in this era where there are so many channels and platforms to be able to blow this story up. And in the era of legal sports betting, there's just no way that this was going to blow right over. So, no, I think the league did did itself a great disservice by not being forthcoming with the details. I don't think Caesars, who has been reported to be the book at the heart of this, is doing itself any favors at all by the way it's handling this either and just kind of hiding under a blanket. We don't comment about players. Uh, so I, I don't know. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me from from any angle. And you're right uh, that David, of course, as you mentioned, David Purdy from ESPN, who reported some of the details about this. Uh, you know, his article is really the only reason we're talking about this the way that we are. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and Eric, to, to put a bow on this, as as Adam just mentioned, I mean, the other thing Caesars could do is come out and just say, like, hey, look, you know, I mean, these these decisions are certainly made at a much higher level than the person sitting at our ticket writer window and things like that. As you said, like, you know, I mean, yeah, you don't want them taking this bet. But at the same time, you know, some guy that's just starting out as a ticket writer isn't isn't really the guy probably that should be tasked with uh, with deciding to take bets or to or not to take bets or something. But again, just any sort of any sort of something coming out from over there, I think we could, could just put an end to all this. Yeah, I think uh, John Holden, our our sports law friend that writes often for Legal Sports Report, has a good piece on this from yesterday. And the general tone is that this is should be a should be a lesson that we all need better communication in this. There needs to be a better cooperative effort between the leagues, the regulators, and the operators. There's some tension there, obviously, particularly in Nevada. But it is in everyone's greater interest to to come together and prevent things like this from happening. We're we're somewhat lucky that it was that it was this situation, a, an injured reserve player, you know, in a parlay that didn't really affect anything. Uh, next time, it, it may be something a little more serious. And Dustin, let's end this thing here with some NBA controversy there. If you guys were watching the Rockets and Spurs game last night, one uh, well done for hanging around because there was a point where the Rockets were up 20 and you thought that this game was over, but the Spurs rally and actually take this thing to double overtime. But Everyone is talking about something that happened way earlier in the game, a little under the eight minute mark in the fourth quarter, a basket that was that actually ruled that it wasn't. And now the controversy begins. Yeah, so James Harden, uh, you know, uh, it's a little hard to describe this on a podcast, but I'd go I'd suggest go watching a video of it. But James Harden dunked the ball with 750 left in the fourth quarter and it was ruled not a dunk. Uh, It was not a point, not points. And. There, a, lot, a lot of going on here, but event, uh, basically the, the the basket didn't count. There was not a review of it, and you know everybody's pissed now. And I, you know there's a lot of people saying that this this result will actually either one be overturned and that the Rockets will be awarded a win, or they'll go back and replay the game possibly, which which also sounds pretty wild from the point at which the the dunk happened with with in the fourth quarter. So we have there's a lot going on here, but this is like an, an actual result of a game that is now you know in doubt and sports books have to deal with this, which is, 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 is part of the, you know, when we have controversies like this, usually it's just like, Oh, there was a mistake in refereeing and, you know, so be it. And, but this one, you know, if, if the, if the result, if something actually changes, we have a big deal for sports books. Now we, we know most sports books, they resolve the bets after the game is over and there's not a whole lot of recourse there. If you're a better, like if this uh, does end up changing, uh, those bets are pretty much resolved and you're not going to see that money. I think some people who are, you know, new to betting or, uh, you know, is expanded across the United States are going to be like, wait, uh, I, I bet the, 
I bet this, and this 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 got overturned. So we don't know what's going what the NBA is going to ultimately do. But that's out there, and we you know we saw, we all even saw today. We you know in this era of expanded sports betting, people have been refunding bets on the sports book. And FanDuel was the first to do it that I saw. They uh, they said they took about twenty thousand dollars of bets. Uh, on the game uh, and refunded that to anybody who who lost because of this of this ruling and yeah it creates a lot of weirdness for for sports books who you know you know we talk we hear a lot from the NBA and leagues about oh sports betting creates problems for us this is an example of of the league and how it's officiating and what's going on with it causing problems for the sports books. Adam, in real time, it definitely looked like it was not a basket. And then you have to slow it down to super slow-mo to see that it actually was. And it did actually go through and how it all played out. But I mean, the big issue here, of course, is the fact that the, the review wasn't available and they were not able to get this call right. And when it does swing or, you know, at least potentially could swing a game, sports bets, things that are going on out there. I mean, these types of issues are going to continue to to pop up here. Now, there is language pretty much at every single sports book that, you know, it doesn't matter if this game gets changed or not. It is the way that the game is settled at the end of a night. And then that is the way that things are going to go. And they have to do that because, you know, there's score like little weird scoring changes. If you had to go back and change every single prop bet, if you had to wait a couple of days to pay out prop bets, it would be the end of the world, you know? So it's basically how things are scored at the end of the game. And if they go back and change something the next day, well, you know, either good or bad on, on, you know, the sports book, because they're either going to win or win more money or lose more money when it comes down to that. But, um, you know, Adam, I guess my question is, is basically like, what, what can be done here? I mean, what is, what is the answer? Or do you just kind of say like, Hey man, look, if it's an inherent risk when you're betting on sports, that there is a human element to sports and you have to just kind of be okay with that whenever you place your wager, that there is going to be referees and there's going to be bad calls and there's going to be things happen that may affect your bet. It's a layered question you're asking there. I think we have to go back and look at what happened and then look at the discussion of what could happen, right? Because if we look at what happened, and, and I will say, you guys, we've discussed this uh, before. I have some background in officiating basketball. When I saw this play live, I thought the refs got it right. Um, and I think there was some room to believe that they could get it right based on what they knew of the rules. Now, what the Rockets are basically saying is that a rule was misapplied. And so they're going to protest on those grounds. When we talk about the Saints situation with the pass interference or some of the other egregious calls that we've seen missed – those are judgment calls that went wrong, right? And the league can come out later and say, well, we probably should have gotten that right, but we didn't. This could potentially be different just because of the fact that in baseball, when a game is protested under misapplication of a rule, there are, there are allowances for going back and replaying from that point. Now, let's talk about it from the perspective of sports betting because it's a completely different situation. If you open this door with sports books, if you open this door to – the outcome could be changed for the bets as opposed to the outcome could be changed for the game. I think that you're going to open up both a slippery slope and a potential Pandora's box to go ahead and mix some metaphors here. The slippery slope would be that you would have people on the wrong side of a bet kind of going with the whole PGA tour thing of like calling in violations and trying to get things changed to get their money back. The game was settled. 
it was settled with a rule being misapplied. It is far from the first game to be settled with a rule being misapplied. So I think you have to let it stand where it is. If a sports book wants to choose, as FanDuel did, to refund bets, that's fine. But I don't think you can in any way put a rule or a regulation in place that would say if the league decided to go back and in some way affect the outcome of the game that we would uh, that we would somehow regrade bets. It doesn't make any sense in a macro perspective. Eric, I don't know what your thought is on this, but I guess maybe this is just my you know, playing as much poker as I have, playing as much DFS as I have or something like, I don't know. I kind of just look at this as like, oh, man, that's a bad beat. And it doesn't and it just kind of moves on. Like, I, I got to be honest with you. This this seems like this is a much bigger deal to other people than it is to me. I just don't. I'm kind of like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, they blew a call. It happens. And, you know, maybe the Rockets should have just closed out the game when they were up 20 as opposed to letting it get to double overtime in the first place. So I, I, I don't know. It just to me, it seems like a much bigger deal than it, than it really is. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't I, I can't say it any better than the other two guys have said it. So far, I think it speaks to Dustin's greater opus point that the the biggest threat to to sports is comes from officiating. It's obviously it's tough to officiate. I have a lot of sympathy for referees and empathy for Adam, but uh, you know that that is the thing that is going to that, that's the thing we're all watching is the officiating, not the not the betting integrity. It also somewhat, at least in my mind, undermines the league's argument for official data in that in that there are there their arguments against quote unquote unofficial data is that the results could be endowed and that could undermine the the public confidence in the the result of a game and here we have an official result that is in question so to me it just undercuts that argument a little bit but i don't know what you do about it i don't really have strong thoughts about about what should be done to avoid this in the future yeah, I, I just I don't know. I, I look at this and I can understand that, you know, we always want to get things right. But I think that there is at least no right or wrong. I do think that there's at least a little bit of an inherent risk that you take in in gambling. I mean, it just is what it is. Right. So, I mean, you are gambling. And so there's going to be a human element. And for me, uh, I, I just don't uh, I don't know. think I'll think this is kind of a mountain being made out of a molehill, but maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I'm on the wrong side of this. It could, that definitely could be the case. Guys, as always, everything that we talk about here on the podcast is written over at LegalSportsReport.com, so you can head over there and get the full breakdown from our very, very talented staff of writers over there, many of many of uh, which you have read before, but we got some new guys on board as well doing some great work, so be sure and take a look at LegalSportsReport.com when you get a chance. And look at those handy-dandy maps if you're wondering what's going on in your state and surrounding states around you. We have all of that information as well. Please follow us on Twitter at LSP Report and individually you can find all of us on the Twitter machine at Adam Candy, two E's, no Y, at Dustin Galker, at Eric underscore Ramsey, and I am at Matt Brown M2. For Adam, for Eric, for Dustin, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment, so you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP. 
meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Combo meal valid when product served. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP. Meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Combo meal valid when product served. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.